All right, let's let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this privilege and joy to dive deep and look in depth at your word. Um, we know that this is not an um, opportunity that everyone gets, and so we uh, partake gratefully and joyfully. We pray that you would be with us and teach us, open our minds and hearts in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... Um, Here's the, can you keep us stuck there too? Um, so we're, we're looking at the fourth commandment and let me, uh, just read it to you. Well, I'll wait until, well, I'll give you guys a quick introduction. So the fourth word is on the Sabbath. Um, does anybody know, have any, uh, Jewish friends and know what the, the word Sabbath is in Jewish? What it translates to? Huh? Yes, you said it. Shabbat. So you've heard it, right? Everyone, every, I mean, so if you have Jewish friends, you know that they have, they celebrate or they observe Shabbat, right? This is the English transliteration. Um, Shabbat literally means to cease, to rest. Um, so it's a day of rest. Um, and as we'll read in the in the account, it goes back to creation when God rested on the seventh day. Can you guys all just squeeze over there so there's less disruption when it happens and when people come in? Um, so let me read uh, the commandment to you. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, even the animals, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So uh, by resting, by sort of setting this day apart, he made the day holy. What? Quick reminder, what does holy mean? Yeah, set apart, distinguish, right? Um, um, so it's a separate day, right? And so this goes with uh, uh, the commandments we've been looking at. The first commandment um, is sort of the thesis statement of all the commandments, which is um, actually the first four, which is to love God above all, right? You shall have no other gods before me. And then I would put two through four as kind of applications of that first commandment. How do we love God? Um, we love God by honoring His image. Right? We re- refrain from making our own images, but we wait for the true image, which is Christ. Um, the third word, which is we honor God's name. We don't uh, throw it around carelessly, but we treat it with reverence. And ultimately, the name of all names, right? the only name by which we're saved is the name Jesus. And then today we're going to learn how we honor God's day. Right? So that's the first four commandments. And then we're going to take a three-week break. And then we're going to cover the, the last six commandments. So the first four commandments has a vertical dimension. How do we love God? And then the last six commandments is a horizontal dimension. How do we love each other? How do we um, love uh, humanity? And if you notice, the fourth commandment is by far the longest of the commandments. Why is that? I'm not 100% sure. Uh, as I thought about it, um, I think it's because uh, the fourth commandment is perhaps the least intuitive. It's perhaps the least intuitive. It's perhaps the least intuitive, right? It's um, hardest to understand, right? How does like um, refraining or resting on the seventh day honor God or love God? Um, I also think that the reason why it's the longest is because it's very hard to keep. Um, because we basically have to stop. It's an all-encompassing restriction, right? If you look at the, the, the other commandments, here it restricts our eyes. Here it restricts our tongue. But the fourth commandment restricts everything, right? It restricts the day, which we have to refrain from our normal labors. Um, and so I think this is why it is the longest. And, and perhaps anticipating the controversy that will arise among Christians, right? Um, so the fourth commandment alone of all the Ten Commandments has this swirling controversy, which is that not everyone is fully convinced that it is applicable still today. Um, and so let me just say, before I dive into the controversy, that I think this is one of those issues that is relatively peripheral to the Christian faith. Um, I think that uh, there are good voices, good thinkers on both sides. 
Um, I would say a majority of Christians today don't believe the, for, the, the Sabbath is um, uh, applicable or is still in effect today. Um, and so I'm going to articulate the minority position, uh, which is actually the historic position in the church. But uh, nevertheless, um, if you guys end up disagreeing with me, that's okay. I always like to say, um, especially because I don't think there's a single verse necessarily that ends the ends the discussion. It's not 100% clear, right? So let's look at the controversy. Um, there are two ar- basic arguments which are interrelated, interconnected, why the Sabbath is obsolete, um, why it's not in effect. So the first argument is that the Sabbath is part of the ceremonial law. So the Old Testament law, theologians have always uh, divided it into three categories. The first is the moral law. The moral law are things like um, murder, adultery. Uh, this has uh, this stays in effect throughout all time because it reflects the character of God, right? It never goes out of style, so to speak. It never becomes obsolete. So that's there's there's the moral law, and then what you have is the civil law. I'll just put in the post. Civil law, civil laws. This relates to Israel as a nation state. So these are laws like penalties. Um, for um, um, accidentally killing your neighbor's animal, um, uh, laws concerning um, agriculture, crops, um, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. Um, and generally, um, not generally, well, actually, there's a minority position on this, but generally, 95% of Christians believe that the civil laws are obsolete because um, Israel was a special nation in covenant with God. No other nation has that status, and therefore these laws are now obsolete. The third category of laws are ceremonial laws. <coughs> these are uh, laws related to the priesthood and the temple. Um, these are like the clean laws. These are like kosher laws, like you can't eat pork. Um, these are uh, ritual washings that you have to do. These are things like um, feasts and festivals. Hey, um, three major feasts. The three major feasts in, in the Jewish calendar are Passover, Yom Kippur, right, Day of Atonement, and Feast of Weeks, right, Feast of Harvest. Those three feasts no longer apply to Christians. We don't have to keep them, right? Um, and again, uh, in this in this case, 100% of all Christians believe that the ceremonial laws are no longer applicable uh, because we would say that both of these laws are finally fulfilled in Christ, right? Especially the ceremonial laws, right? Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, uh, Passover, all fulfilled in Jesus. And so the argument is that the Sabbath is part of the ceremonial laws. Right? Oh, and I should also say the ceremonial laws, One of the other purpose of it is to set Israel as distinct, apart from the nations around it, right? Um, and perhaps the two most uh, uh, distinguishing characteristics of Israel compared to the pagan nations, was, was uh, circumcision and Sabbath-keeping, right? You see that again and again in the Old Testament, that this is what sets Israel apart. Nobody else, none of the pagan nations uh, observed this or practiced this. And so this is what um, made Israel distinct. If you look at Exodus 31, can I have Tracy read that real quick? And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you, above all you should keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Yeah, sanctify means to, to be set apart, right? Um, and so uh, the people of Israel, they're distinct, and one of their distinctive marks is the Sabbath. That's absolutely true, along with circumcision. And so the argument is, um, that applies to Israel, the church is not Israel, or we're not Israel, and therefore it is now obsolete. Very closely related to that is B, which is that the New Testament affirms this argument, right? So the New Testament specifically states that the Sabbath is obsolete. So there are two main passages here, really just one, but there's a supporting passage, so Colossians 2. TJ, can you read that for us? Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Yeah, so what is Paul talking about? He says... So there's, you know, uh, matters, scruples on food and drink and festival and uh, new moon. And all of these refer to what? Um, 
it refers to either ceremonial, uh, it, actually they all refer to ceremonial laws, right? Um, for example, the kosher laws, the food laws, uh, the, the, the festivals that um, you're supposed to keep as a Jew. And he says that they are all, a sh- what is it in um, verse 17? They're a shadow of the things to come. And I think this is a really great metaphor to understand things, right? So here's a person. I'm going to betray my poor drawing. All right, so here's a human being, and then he casts a shadow. Right? right? So when you see the shadow, you know the reality is coming, the substance, right? The shadow is moving towards you. Then you know the real thing is here. So what Paul is saying is that the Old Testament ceremonial laws were the shadow of Christ. Christ is the real thing. He's the reality. And now that we have Christ, why do we live in shadow land? We, we should not, right? We don't need to keep Passover. We don't need to keep the clean laws. We don't need to refrain from eating pork because all of that was to help us and teach us about Christ. Um, and then notice, uh, the argument goes, Paul specifically states Sabbath as one of those shadow elements that anticipates Christ. Therefore, the Sabbath is obsolete. Related, supporting that is Romans 14. Where are we? Justin, can you... Uh, it's the yeah. bottom verse. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should fulfill or should fully convince in his own mind. Yeah, so again, it's this issue of judging, passing judgment, right? Paul says that Christians shouldn't pass judgment on each other on things of indifference, right? Adiaphora. Um, and so things of indifference is Sabbath-keeping, um, 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 what is it, uh, the, the clean law, the, the, the kosher food laws, right? This was a huge controversy in the, in the church, right? People um, refrained from eating unclean foods. And so he's saying, listen, there are some Christians who think eating pork is bad. Don't pass judgment. It's okay. You know, you know, uh, accept and embrace your brother. But implicit in that is he's saying it's not a moral issue. So just like eating pork is not a moral issue, Sabbath is not a moral issue, is the argument. All right. So does everyone understand the argument so far? All right. So I'm going to respond <laughs> to the argument. Hopefully, I've not set up a strong a, a straw man. I've set up a very strong argument. Hopefully, you're all convinced. You're like Sabbath is obsolete. I agree. <laughs> um, all right. So let me see if I can pull you guys back from the brink. Um, all right, so let me throw out some positive arguments. The first positive argument I would I would state is first that the Sabbath is part of the Ten Commandments. Um, I think it seems really strange that um, one of the Ten Commandments alone of all the Ten Commandments would be a ceremonial law. Um, and it leads to this rather strange conclusion that only nine of the Ten Commandments are in effect today, which is the argument that people make. Only nine apply, one is obsolete. Um, I think that seems inelegant of God, rather sloppy of God. Um, if God, like he doesn't make one of the Ten Commandments, make sure you're circumcised, right? Because that is a ceremonial law. So I think that causes, that should cause us, that's not a slam dunk argument, but that should cause us to pause and be very reluctant to jettison the fourth commandment, we need a very, very, very strong argument, I think, to dislodge it. I don't think the argument I've laid out previously is sufficiently to rise to that to that level. The second argument I would make is that the Sabbath was instituted at creation, not with Moses. So the argument here is that it's part of the ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws were not there at creation. They were all there part of the Mosaic Covenant, given at Sinai. But if you look at the, the fourth commandment, he doesn't say, so, this is part of what I gave you, the laws that I've given you at Sinai. He says, for, it goes back to creation, right? And so, um, the, the essential principle was given at creation. Now, let me just say this. Sabbath has ceremonial elements, like uh, all kinds of elaborate um, restrictions and descriptions and applications that have a ceremonial or maybe civil um, uh, aspect that's related to Israel, but the essential principle was already there at creation. It's woven into the very fabric of the universe because it reflects the character of God, right? Um, because, and we'll talk about this later. What does it mean for God to rest? So that's my second argument. Sabbath goes back to creation, not Sinai, not, not Moses. Number three, 
Um, there's an absence of controversy in the New Testament. All right, so this is where <clears throat> this is where it's going to take a little bit of unpacking to understand. Um, all right, so this is one of the basic disagreements between um, Baptists and Reformed Reformed brothers. All right, so let me affirm again. <laughs> we are a Reformed Church, but we love our Baptist brothers. Um, um, <laughs> we love our Baptist brothers, but there are disagreements, right? And so it's, it's fun, but it's also nourishing and helpful for us to think through some of the differences, okay? What is the number one major difference between Baptist and Reformed? When I say Reformed, I'm talking about Presbyterian as well, so. Presbyterian is a subcategory versus creo Yeah, yeah, so baptism, right? So they uh, Baptists believe in um, a believer's baptism. And then Reformed people believe in infant baptism, right? The whole argument can be boiled down to how do you understand the Old Testament? Because in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of belonging to God, being part of the God's people was applied to babies. That's uncontested, right? The Baptists would say, yeah, that's true. It's interesting, but we're not the Old Testament. We're not Israel. There's a sharp break. Reformed people say, no, no, no. Everything that is in the Old Testament, all the, all, all the principles and all the rules and laws continue unless there's a clear, explicit um, command that it's over, right? So it's kind of, it has to do with assumptions. So Baptist people always assume discontinuity, And reform people assume continuity. Does that make sense? Between the Old Testament and New Testament, right? And therefore, um, when the Baptists look at the Sabbath, and this is one of the issues, so Baptists in general believe the Sabbath, in general, <coughs> is obsolete, and reform people believe the Sabbath is, is still in effect, right? And so when the Baptists look at the Sabbath, they say, well, that's really interesting, but I don't see it in the New Testament. I need to see a specific verse that says the Sabbath applies today, right? Um, and that's true. There is no verse that says the Sabbath applies today. But for Reformed people, that's not a that's not a sufficient argument. Reformed people say it's in, it's in effect unless directly canceled or directly ended. Does that make sense? So, for example, clean laws. Jesus says everything is clean. Okay, so now we know all the clean laws are over. Um, circumcision. We know that circumcision, there was a huge controversy, right? Because circumcision was a major identity mark of being the people of God. And so there was a massive, massive controversy. They had Acts 15, an entire church council, All uh, many of the apostles, the churches sent elders. They had to have a long discussion, debate. Is circumcision, is that a requirement to be a believer? And then they said, no, right? Sabbath is just as... Uh, uh, significant and profound as an identity marker, um, as circumcision. And therefore, where is the controversy? If the Sabbath is now canceled, where is the controversy? There is no controversy. We don't see any turmoil in the text. We don't see churches fighting. We don't see Old Test. We don't see um, Jewish believers saying, being indignant. Paul, you canceled the Sabbath. This is outrageous. You don't see any of that. And therefore. In the Reformed sort of assumption of reading the New Testament, therefore, we assume continuity. We assume that Paul never canceled it. The apostles have never canceled the, the, the Sabbath because there was no controversy. Yes. And didn't Jesus, like, perform miracles on the Sabbath? Yes. And so is that, con- and then there was controversy because of that, though, right? I'm yeah, so there's sure. controversy on how do you observe the Sabbath, uh, but Jesus never said the Sabbath is part of the ceremonial laws out it goes. Right. Another way of looking at it um, is if I, I did a word study, like I went through the entire Gospels and looked for every single place where the word Sabbath was mentioned, and everywhere where it's mentioned, Jesus says, you, basically he says, you don't understand what the Sabbath is. Instead, and it Well, let me interrupt you there. So, so the Baptist arguments, our Baptist brothers, our beloved brothers would say that Jesus was under the old law. So, every, so him affirming the Sabbath is not sufficient. They need an apostle to affirm it post-Pentecost. Okay. Okay. Which um, there isn't. 
we agree with. Us Reformed Brothers agree. There isn't a direct, clear verse where the apostles post-Pentecost affirm the sacrament. Jesus is under the old law. So he kept the clean laws, for example. He did not eat pork. Jesus was a obedient, righteous Jewish man. Okay, I, I, I do feel as if there are passages that support this, but it requires... Find it, and that'll end the controversy. <laughs> I do think I have it. Okay, I, I talk to me afterwards. Okay, so... Um, so, so, so let me just continue. So we're on positive arguments, right? The fourth bullet point. Um, and we do see indications of Sabbath observance in the New Testament. So that's perhaps what you're alluding to. Say that again? Uh, we do see uh, a Sabbath observance in the New Testament. Uh, we do see mentions of, of the early church keeping the Sabbath. but uh, And we're going to get to that. But that is not sufficient to have convinced our Baptist brothers on this issue. Because they're kind of... The Baptist brothers would say it's weak. It's a bit vague. We'll, we'll get to that, all right? Um, and then finally, Jesus says, um, the Sabbath is made for man. Remember, I, I preached on this, um, what's that? No, I, Wade preached on this a, a few weeks back. Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And therefore, what is Jesus saying? The Sabbath is for human flourishing. It's for our good. And therefore, right, like circumcision is not necessarily for our good or for our flourishing. So whether we keep it or not, it doesn't really matter. It's a matter of indifference, right? The, like eating pork, should we eat pork or not? That's not really, like a lot of people think, oh, it's because there are health reasons. Pork is just bad for you, right? You know, they knew about like salmonella or poison or something. This is not the reason why pork was banned. Pork was banned as a symbol and sign of cleanness and, and holiness, right? And so you're free to eat pork, Christians. Um, um, what's the point I'm trying to make here? Oh, yes. So, but the Sabbath is different. The Sabbath is for human flourishing. It's, it's for our good. And therefore, why would something that is good and beneficial be canceled? Why would that say, this, for you to be, um, a fully realized, fully happy, fully, um, uh, uh, in in all the fullness of, of being a human being, but now you don't have to keep it. That doesn't quite make sense. And therefore, it is part of the moral law. Um, so that is the, all the arguments I, I have to make. I don't know if that convinced you, but any questions or any any comments or pushback? So when you say the Baptist brothers don't believe in the keeping the Sabbath anymore? In general. It, can, what does that really mean in terms of like, they wouldn't call Sunday service the Sabbath or... Um, they wouldn't say the Sabbath principle is why we meet on Sunday. Uh-huh. It's by tradition. We do need to meet on a day. Right. So Sunday is the day by church tradition because ch- the church has always met on Sunday. Um, and we'll get back to reasons why it's, it is on Sunday. Um, but it isn't binding. It isn't a moral law. Um, we are required to meet together as a church. So mm-hmm. a Baptist would say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would they would say, for example, you're free to work oh, okay. after Sunday, like if you're an accountant, you can go to your office afterwards or something like that. No, that was what I was going to get. So does that mean that as Christians we shouldn't work on Sunday? Um, the Reformed, if you accept the Reformed view, yes, you should. Now, if you are, uh, I don't know, an emergency room nurse or something. Yeah, so this this goes to the how do you actually observe the Sabbath. Um, um, acts of necessity and mercy are exempted. So, for example, if you see someone, if you're if you're a nurse and you see someone bleeding on the street, you say, "Oh, it's the Sabbath. I cannot help you." Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, acts of mercy is good, um, and acts of necessity. So, this would include um, fire, police, government agencies, um, pastors. Pastors. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, if somebody, if somebody works retail and he has no control over his schedule, and they say, "Hey, can you work on Sunday?" Yeah. So, we're going to get to that. At the end, but um, um, I am very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. I understand the nature of the modern economy. Um, a lot of times, you're an employee. You don't have. Uh, you can't like put down your foot and say, "I'm not going to work on Sunday," and uh, your boss will say, "You're fired." <laughs> right. So um, I have great sympathy, and I would say, therefore, as a Christian, you should be inclined to to keep the day apart and separate, and so you should try. Most of us don't have to work on the weekends, 
So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm applying it to people who are free to not work on Sunday, but they still choose to. I would push them towards mm. trying to, and I wouldn't even say you don't have to stop working the whole day if that's you're completely committed to that. Just start to expand your Sabbath day so it's not just Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And try to make it set apart. I don't know if that answers your question. I'm very lenient. I'm 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 like I'm maybe in between. You know, I believe in the reform position, but I'm very I love our Baptist brothers. I don't want to any questions? Yes. Um, this, I'm going to say, I'm going to make a comment about the nature of fulfillment, but if, if you have a later point. I do have a later point on that. About, okay, so I'll, I'll save it for then. Okay. All right, any questions? This is your chance. <laughs> Saying, I don't completely accept the argument, Pastor Michael. All right, so let's move on then. Um, by the way, did Jeff bring the kids? No. no, okay. I was going to say because Christina's in the playground. Oh, okay. okay. Um, all right, so uh, where are we? Uh, yeah, so now, why do we observe Sabbath on, on Sunday and not Saturday? So um, if you have Jewish friends, you know what... Uh, where is Ashley? Ashley, you're the one with our Jewish, your Jewish friends. <laughs> the one person. How can that be? Um, when, did they, when does Shabbat begin? Oh, Friday night, right. So Shabbat begins. Uh, uh, I think it's a very rational system because when does the modern world say the next day begins? Midnight. A random hour in the middle of the night, <laughs> right? <laughs> Angel people are like, now. Now is a new day, right? Okay, so that doesn't make any sense, right? So the Jewish people are very rational. The day begins. When I mean, the day ends when the sun goes down, and the new day begins officially at uh, sundown, right? So Friday night to Saturday sundown is is the Sabbath, is Shabbat, right? It's the seventh day. So then, why do we, as New Testament believers, observe it? For those of us that do observe it, why do we do it on Sunday? And the answer basically has to, the the answer is basically the resurrection. Okay, um, remember that Jesus was crucified on what day? Friday, right? Good Friday. So the sixth day, he was crucified at the end of the sixth day, near the end. And then, right after he was crucified, sundown. And therefore, what happened? It's the Sabbath, right? Um, Now, when somebody dies, it's very important in that culture that you dress the body. Um, You you clean it. You um, anoint it with herbs and spices, right? Um, Which is a way to honor the body. Uh, Jesus' friends couldn't do it on Saturday, because they were observant um, Jews, and so they waited a whole day, and when did they go to uh, attend to Jesus' body? Not Saturday night, because it's dark, you know, it's scary, who knows, and can't do anything, so they, they, they went sun up Sunday morning. The, the first light after the Sabbath, they went to dress Jesus' body, to, to care for it, and then they discovered the resurrection, right? Jesus rose from the from the great, the shock of their life, um, and therefore, from that to, from that point forward, um, we observe the church celebrates the resurrection of our Lord every Sunday, which is why we worship on Sunday. So that's what Luke twenty four is telling us, um, verse one. But on the first day of the week, right, the first day, which is Sunday, um, Saturday is the seventh day. Sunday is when we observe the Sabbath, or or, or we observe a, a day of worship and rest. Um, and so there are, in addition to that, there are three other verses, only three, that give us biblical evidence that this is the practice of the church. So Acts 20, where are we? Um, Joe, can you read Acts 20? On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Yeah, so this is Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. And it says on the first day of the week, they were gathered together to break bread. So this is not just a casual observance. Oh, so we're eating lunch, right? Um, to break bread is a specific uh, a term for communion, right? So they were partaking of the Lord's Supper. They were gathered together in worship on what day? The first day, Sunday, right? First uh, Corinthians 16. Uh, David, can you read that for us? Yeah. <clears throat> Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, 
so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Yeah, so what does Paul instruct the church? That on the first day of each week, they're supposed to collect their, the tithes, the offerings for the poor in Jerusalem. Um, again, here's another indication that the church gathered together for worship on Sunday, not uh, on, the sev- on the first day, not the seventh day. And the finally, last passage, um, um, Lisa, can you read Revelation? Uh, one, I, John, uh, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of, the, of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice. Yeah. So, um, this is the only place in the entire Bible where we have that expression, the Lord's Day. Um, and we know, uh, simply from church history, <laughs> the heritage of church history, the Lord's Day is the first day. That, that John here, the Apostle John, is talking about Sunday. He's talking about the Christian Sabbath. This is it, folks. If you guys want a really super strong biblical argument for why Sunday, not Saturday... You have your three verses. Um, so why do we do it then? Uh, for several reasons. Number one, because of the overwhelming testimony of church history. The church has always worshipped on Sunday. This is irrefutable, incontestable. No one disputes it. Um, if you think about it, that's a pretty remarkable thing because the church consisted mostly of Jewish believers at the beginning and then a, a huge percentage of Jewish believers for at least the first century or so. And Jewish believers had very strong scruples, right? They, they, they were very observant. Why would they switch it from Saturday to Sunday? Only if something really significant happened, the resurrection. And therefore, the resurrection shifted everything. And, and, and this, is one, this is one of the good evidences for the resurrection. But um, this is also indicative that the entire church accepted and knew that the day of rest now changed from the seventh to the first day. Um, and therefore, this emphasizes the importance of church history. Church history is not definitive. It doesn't define what we believe, but it's a wonderful resource to help us. If the, universe, if the early church universally practiced something, that's a very good indication that this is true, right? In, in, in conjunction with scripture, which is another reason why um, I believe in infant baptism, because it was a universal practice of the early church um, until the Reformation. But... Um, uh, and then the only time people contested why not Saturday was when mid 1800s, a small American sect said, "I think it's actually still Saturday." Does anyone know the name of this sect? Seven Day, Seven Day Adventist, right? Mm-hmm. They were a sect back then. They've very much modern, uh, modernized and kind of normalized. Um, and so, uh, uh, so we would, you know, I, I'm happy to call them brothers. But um, um, Seven Day Adventists were the only group. Mid 18th century, mid mid 1800s. So that's a very weak argument. Anytime, anything that comes from America, mid 18 or mid 1900s, I feel like you gotta get, you gotta Mormonism, you gotta convince me a little bit more. <laughs> it's gotta be stronger than that. Okay. Any questions on why Sunday, not Saturday? I had a roommate in college who was heavily evangelized by Seventh Day Advent, so we would have this long debate and discussion all the time. I was never able to convince him because he wanted a Bible verse. I was like, I'm not, I don't have no Bible verse then for you that's going to sufficiently convince you. Um, I have a question on yeah. about some Christian churches that have services on Sunday and Saturday evening. Mm. I've heard of those just because to help with schedules for people's work and things like that. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a very relaxed, what's called Sabbatarian. I'm a very chill Sabbatarian. Um, so for me, like, it's okay if, if people worship on Saturday. Yeah. I think that's fine, you know. I think the principle of one and seven is important. Um, I think Sunday is important because Sunday is resurrection. It's the, the day our Lord resurrected. So every Sunday when we sing praises God, when we hear of the good news, we're doing it on the day he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. Which is important. Mm-hmm. On, sa- on on Saturday, he was in the grave. So, yeah. okay. all right, let's uh, move on to Jeff's questions, which is how do we actually do this? How do we observe this? Now that I fully convince you, there is no doubt in your mind. <laughs> how do we observe the Sabbath? Um, I think a great starting place is Isaiah. So, can I have Amanda read Isaiah fifty-eight? 
Oh, it's the next page. Yeah, sorry. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking ibly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yeah, um... I think this is a great place to think about the Sabbath um, because what Isaiah is saying here is that the temptation always is to do our own thing. I think personally, for me, I hate the Sabbath um, because I'm a productivity uh, uh, machine in the sense that I, it's just like I find my identity in my, my productivity. Like when I'm accomplishing things, I feel so good, right? Because I feel like there's this verdict and the verdict is, Good job. You worked hard, you know? And so to knock out a whole day sounds to me like insanity. <laughs> um, there's so much you can do. Um, so I think that's always a temptation. And the Sabbath tells our modern culture, which is this workaholic culture, stop, slow down, take a breath, um, stop being so productive. I think, in a sense, we're so... Um, panicked about being productive because we find our identity and significance in that and it's basically saying stop find your identity in Christ and even if you're not as productive can you live with it can you be at peace with it my heart says no I need I need eight days you know <laughs> I'm unhappy with the 24 hours God has given me um, um, and so it's asking us to not take yourself so seriously do you think you're that important just rest, you know, trust God. Um, stop doing your own uh, 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 pleasure. Stop living this life of just self-development, self-gratification. And instead, the Sabbath directs our attention to God. And I think sort of the modern way we look at it, and by the way, we think, oh, this is a modern problem. All throughout the Old Testament, again and again, God constantly chastises his people for breaking the Sabbath. Why? Because ancient people had this problem too. They're like, are you kidding me? A whole day, I can't work, I can't go in the marketplace, I can't harvest my grain. So they were breaking the Sabbath all the time, right? And and so it feels burdensome to us, but I love this passage because it says, um, then you will, verse 14, then you will take delight, right? The Sabbath is a delight. I think that's a, such a strong word. If we obey God and listen to God, we will be filled with joy. We'll, we'll, we'll flourish. And I love the language he, God, uh, Isaiah uses. Um, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. And so it's this feeling of soaring in the air, you know, just this feeling of freedom. We think we sometimes think of the Sabbath rule as a burden, as shackles. But God actually says, if you observe this, you'll be free. And you'll soar. And it's just this exhilarating feeling. Um, and then it says where, uh, uh, then you shall take delight in the Lord, right? And um, this will nourish us spiritually. This will grow our affection and devotion to God if we will only obey, right? So not just honor God's image, not just honor his name, but honor his day. Um, and that's how we love God. I think one of, the, uh, one of the, the, the temptations for us, the reason why we want to cancel out the fourth day, is because we have to be convinced logically. Like, convince me God, right? Um, that it's valid. Convince me that it's moral. And for a lot of us, we don't believe there is a moral issue here. But I think what the Ten Commandments should teach us is we need to um, trust God. He's saying, this is what, these are my values, this is my character, and this is how you can love me. If you love me, you will obey me. And so I think the first instinct as Christians is always first to obey and then work it out. You know, like for me, I've always been a Sabbatarian. I've never not believed in Bolivia's Sabbath, even as a serial Sabbath breaker. Um, all through college, I studied every Sunday. I never <laughs> kept the Sabbath on the Sunday, even though I believed in it. But I think the way we should approach it is that we should first believe and accept. And even if we don't understand, then we then we then we puzzle it through. Okay, what? Why? How does it work? 
Does that make sense? That should be our instinct, yeah. I have a question. I don't know if you're going to address it later, but like if, the, okay, so I feel like with Sabbath, it's a lot of what you should not do, right? You can't do this, you can't do this. But then there's a the question of what can you do? Like yeah. if you're just spending the whole day like on your phone, like playing games, I don't think that's pleasing to God, right? So like. <laughs> or, or, or you're just inert, right? You're just yeah, like, you're just. Just like. <laughs> so I'm going to get to that. All right, okay. so let me get to that. Um, so I think there are three benefits to the Sabbath. First is for our physical refreshment. Um, let me just read the, uh, the underlined portion here, Exodus 23, that we may be refreshed. I love the word refreshment. It's like, it makes us feel new, right? Um, the body is not meant to work tirelessly for seven days a week. We'll just break down. Um, so we need that day. God is saying, trust me, I'm the owner. Please read my owner's manual and don't miss, don't abuse your car. Follow it, do the tune-ups and the car will run good. Otherwise, it'll break, right? Um, that's what God is telling us. Second reason, and this is what you're talking about. The, 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 so it's not just refraining, but it's also moving, movement towards God. It's fellowship with God. Leviticus 23, let me read that. Six days you shall, six days shall work be done, but on seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. What is convocation? That's a fun, advanced word. What is convocation? You've heard it before, right? I heard Sarah go, uh-huh, so <laughs> that's... What is convocation? So I've heard it in the context. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of those words you've heard before, but you're not sure exactly what the I meaning really is, right? What happens in a convocation? This is being recorded. When, 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 <laughs> <laughs> when you're sitting in your room all by yourself, are you convocating? No. No. So what is a convocation? Who said no? TJ? Oh, Ansel? Well, it's typically used in what we normally call graduation ceremonies. Good, good. So, it's a, it comes from the Latin, con, with, or together. Vocation means calling, so it's a calling to be together, right? Um, it's actually a, a, one of the words in the Old Testament that's also translated in the New Testament, ecclesia, assembly, gathering, right? So, um, what is the purpose of the Sabbath? The purpose of the Sabbath is for us as a church to gather together, to be together, and worship God, right? And that's for our nourishment, that's for our joy. Um, we should want to be together. It's like a family gathering every Sunday, you know, to, to adore and delight in God. Psalm 92, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the title says, A Psalm, A Song for the Sabbath. So this is a Sabbath song. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp and the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the work of your hands, I sing for joy. And so on the Sabbath, we should sing. <laughs> Why? Because we're reminding our hearts of God's steadfast love. We're reminding ourselves of his work that he did on our behalf to save us, to rescue us. So it's a day dedicated to really meditating and drilling down into our hearts the love of God. A day for that. A day of joy. Um, I think to the degree that we find the Sabbath onerous or burdensome is a degree to which we're cold towards God. Because God is saying, you don't have to work anymore. I'll take care of you. Now that you've done six days worth of work, here's a day where you can just enjoy. Take delight in me. Sing to me. As believers, we should say, what a gift, what an amazing treasure to sing. What if God says, once a month, we gather and sing to you? You'd be like, wow, it's so long. When am I going to get to do it again, right? So what a great pleasure and joy. Um, finally, number three, it's to point us to Jesus. Um, so the Sabbath is unique in all of creation, in the creation account. Why? Why is the Sabbath day, the seventh day, unique in the creation account? Many reasons, but I'm looking for one. Yes. So this is an open-ended question that's not very helpful. Um, um, what I'm looking for is that all the other days had this refrain at the end, and there was evening and there was morning. But the Sabbath day, seventh day, has no such refrain. And the implication is that the Sabbath day is an eternal day. It goes on forever, right? And the reason why is because the Sabbath is a sign that points us forward to the age to come. The eternal age, right? So the Bible believes in two ages. This is this is the age that we live in, our age, 
right? From creation to the end of history. And this is the age to come. It's forever. Eternal bliss. Kind of puts things in perspective, right? We're so worried. Oh my gosh, what, what's going what about here, you know? Let's worry about this. The age to come. Let's think about that. Let's dwell on that. And so the Sabbath points us forward to that day. And one of the great uh, pictures that we have in the Old Testament is, is the promised land. So um, this is my very bad map of the Mediterranean world. Um, <laughs> is that a mountain? <laughs> this is the Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Jordan. So what is this? The promised land. There you go. This is the Mediterranean. Okay, um, You can go here and beach vacation. But anyways, so this is the promised land, right? And so what happened to Israel? Israel wandered around in the wilderness, right? And because they rebelled against God, because they disobeyed him, God says, you shall not enter my rest. He calls the promised land a land of rest. Why? That's interesting, right? It's a rest from enemies. It's a, a rest from wandering, a rest from troubles and difficulties to sit in the land, to pick its fruits, to enjoy its produce. What a wonderful feeling. Um, and it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of this eternal day to come, this etern- uh, eternal bliss. And if you look at Hebrews 3, let me just read you the underlying portion, chapter 4, verse 1. Right? This is the Hebrew writer. right? So this is the New Testament saying this. Therefore, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, right? So even though Israel had actually entered the land, the writer of Hebrews says, we're still waiting. We're still like Israel, waiting to go into the promised land. What is he talking about? Is he talking about land? No, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about new creation, right? So he says, so we're still waiting. And then look verse uh, verse 9, next end of the land portion. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So we're still waiting for that eternal day of rest. And now we understand that he's talking about the gospel. Because Jesus says in Matthew 11, I will give you rest. Right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus is our eternal rest. And this is why we observe the Sabbath. Every Sabbath, we look back at the resurrection, the salvation work of Jesus, but we also look forward. One day we're going to fall into the arms of Jesus. One day he's going to say, good and faithful servant, come into my rest. Come and enjoy bliss and happiness and fellowship with me. And so every Sunday we stir up our hearts and we, we, we remind ourselves of that. Um, any questions? Yes, Anson. Yes, um, Tracy. You raise your hand first, so that's the... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's like Jeopardy. You have to put it against okay. the um, So I'm only going to say two things if, um, and leave out any kind of talk about defending whether the Sabbath uh, needs to be kept. I'm, I'm going to leave that out because I'm going to talk too long if I include that. So the two things I want to say is one, I want to issue um, actually a challenge to go and see for yourself. Um, go and go on, say, Bible Gateway and do a keyword search for the word Sabbath and look at every single time it appears in the Gospel and look and take a look for yourself at what Jesus thinks what Jesus does, why he does what he does, what he does not do, and what he does not say. Um, that that's my challenge for you. And number two is that what I found when I did that is that Jesus seems to have had an unspoken sort of uh, directive on the Sabbath, which was to maximize good. Mm. Like so, when he saw that he could uh, heal this man who was in front of him. He said, I can heal him now. Yeah. And in fact, I'm not breaking the Sabbath yeah. because we know that he didn't. Yeah. Um, and so something that I do, and partially as an answer to what Tracy had asked earlier about what can I do on the Sabbath, yeah. my answer, and, and this, is, this is my best answer, is to maximize good. One thing that I find to be helpful uh, for the rest of the week is to do things that I don't have time for mm. on the Sabbath. Yeah. If I see a friend and it's been forever since we hung out and we never seem to have time, then Sunday is the day. Like yeah. it seems, uh, let, let it's me, the Sabbath. Let me pay back on that. Yeah, I think that's a really helpful way to think of it. People say, well, "What do I do all day? Do all the things you wanted to do for the Lord to help you grow in the Lord, 
that you couldn't find time to, to do, like meet with friends. One thing I would always encourage people to do is read a devotional book. People always say, I don't have time to read a devotional book. Read one on Sunday. Spend 30 minutes. Read a devotional book for 30 minutes on Sunday. People say, I don't have time to read the Bible. What a wonderful chance. Do a family devotional. Read the Bible. If you don't have any time to do a family devotional, just do it on Sunday. Right? Because that's who God has made today. And you're free. You don't have to do everything. Um, can I shift to Tracy? Did you have a question? Yeah, really quick. So are you equating the Sabbath equivalent to the importance of corporate worship then? Yeah, I think um, the reason why corporate worship is important is because that's how we set the day apart. We don't meet corporately on 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 the other six days, but we do it on Sunday, which is a way for us to honor God, keep the Sabbath, and nurture our faith. And it is a command, right? Don't keep from meeting each other with each other, as is, as is as is the habit of some, right? What, what verse is that? Hebrews, Hebrews uh, ten. Chapter, yeah. chapter 10, yeah. 27, 28. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Any other questions? Yes, Joe. So going back to, like, mercy, need, like, being negated, like, to... That would the nursing in that, by the way. No, but I'm just saying, like, okay, so if you're saying, like, I get that it's excluded, but what's your take on, like, observing the Sabbath day, like, on a different day? Yeah, so I observed observed my Sabbath on Monday. Um, I I should be. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I've been better. (laughs) I've been much better because Kristen insists. Um, So I'm a worker of, I suppose, mercy and necessity. So I can't rest on Sunday, so I rest on on Monday. Um, um, Actually, I have to. I mean, I just break down. It's exhausting. Um, So I think, for example, if you're a nurse and you have a Sunday shift, um, I don't think you should feel guilty. I think you're doing wonderful work to help heal people. But you should try to find one day in the week where you actually do observe the Sabbath. Um, and I would say you should never accept a job in which you're always working on Sunday. Only occasional Sunday work, I, I think, is acceptable. But if it requires every Sunday so that you're completely missing out in the life, corporate life of the church, I would, at that point, tell, uh, counsel you, I wouldn't accept that. Like no Christians in car sales. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. I mean, because I used I used to work at Walgreens, so the busiest time is in retail was Sunday. I think it's definitely possible in retail to get some Sundays off, at least half. I've I've been in retail for I worked in retail for three years. I know that's true. You can do it if you show yourself to be a good worker and you and you and you show yourself to be reliable. Then your boss will be like, all right. All right, let me pray. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this joy um, to gather on the Lord's Day, to consider your word, the fourth word. Um, I pray that everything in our hearts wants to resist and run away and do our own thing, but I pray that we can have a heart of trust, that it is for our flourishing, it is for our faith to be nourished, for us to draw near to you. So I pray that you would draw near to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'm going to run... Oh, what?